As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and tonight I'm here with Joel Renner, Maxime Masnikov, and Denise Renner. But today we're going to go back to Bethlehem. And in the introduction to today's program, I'm standing in the cave in Bethlehem. It was the cave that was identified as early as the third century as the place where Jesus was born. Even Origen, the great theologian who lived in Alexandria, wrote, and by the way, Origen was brilliant, and his writings are historically accurate. He wrote that the light came into the world and was first seen in the cave in Bethlehem. Well, when Mary and Joseph came into Bethlehem that night, the Bible says there was no room for them in the end, not because they were poor, but because the rooms were already taken. And by the way, we saw last night that Bethlehem only had a population of about 300. Well, how many inns do you think were in Bethlehem? There weren't any. An inn was just the second floor of a house that you could lease out to travelers. Well, all the spaces were taken. There was no occupancy because everybody had come to town for the census. So now Mary and Joseph need a place to go because Mary is great with child. She's about to give birth. And they go into the very, very back of a cave where they huddle there. And that is where Jesus came into this world. And it's funny to me that we sing silent night. Holy night. It's a very pretty song, but it wasn't silent at all. That cave would have been filled with animals, cows, donkeys, sheep, probably other travelers who were always looking, also looking for a place to stay. One early historical writer says you would have seen people shooting dice, playing games, and back in the middle of this rowdy, rowdy, rowdy environment, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is born into the world in the back of that cave. And if you ever come to Israel, you can visit that location in the city of Bethlehem. Now, to be honest, Denise, when people visit the Church of the Holy Nativity, most people are very offended by it because it is so religious. It is covered with crosses and candles and gold and ornamentation and icons and mosaics and paintings. And when you go down into the cave, even the cave, it's dark. And the reason it's dark is because they've been burning candles there for 2,000 years and the soot has ruined the interior of the cave. It doesn't look like it looked like 2,000 years ago, but that really is the location. I, I, I'm confident in that. But in 1 Timothy 3.16, we have a remarkable verse about the birth of Jesus. That night, all the angels came. Why did all the angels show up? We've already seen that first they came to salute their commander because their commander had been born. Their commander had arrived on mission. But there's something else. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. Angels had seen the form of God, but angels had never looked into the face of God. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a heavenly host showed up because for the very first time, angels could look into the face of God. They wanted to see God's face in the face 
of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And this verse says that God was manifest in the flesh. Manifest. This means Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was not his beginning. It was simply his manifestation. It was just his manifestation. He had eternally existed. And when he was born, he was completely human. He was completely God. It was really a miracle. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes in this verse, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Wow. That God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, and at long last seen by angels. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. That is just amazing. But there's another scripture that I really love about Christmas, and that is Philippians chapter 2. So let's go there. Most people think Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, is about Easter. Because it talks about the cross. It talks about the resurrection. You can use it for Easter. But it begins by talking about the birth of Jesus. And here's what I want to say to you guys. Jesus was not born into the world to be a baby and to stay a baby forever. He was born as the Lamb of God. His purpose was to hang on that cross. He was born to die for you and for me. And when he was born, God knew this little lamb was going to give his life on the cross. But let's look at this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul wrote, Speaking of Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And in this verse, Paul tells us Jesus existed before he was manifest in the flesh. In Jesus' pre-existence, he was not just a component of God. He was not a symbol of God. Jesus was God. Let's all say Jesus is God. Jesus, Jesus is, is God. God. He is God. When you talk about Jesus, you're talking about God. And as the eternal God before his manifestation in the earth, he possessed all the attributes of Godhead. Glory, splendor beyond our wildest imagination, power. He was enwrapped in all of that. But for him to come to the earth, he had to change his form. Because no man can look into the face of God and live. That's what the Old Testament says. And for God to be with human beings, God had to change his form. And the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 6, He was in the form of God, but thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Made himself of no reputation is a Greek word which means to make empty, to vacate, to evacuate, or to shed. And here we find that Jesus emptied himself... He evacuated himself. He shed all of those glorious, glorious, glorious attributes. He laid them aside and he took on a different form. And that's what the verse goes on to say. Let's look at it next. It says that he emptied himself, vacated, shed all of those outward attributes and took upon him the form of a servant. Took upon him is amazing to me because it means to grab, to seize, to lay hold of, to make one's very own. God Almighty, guys, think about this, reached into the material world and God Almighty said, I'm going to clothe myself in my own creation. I'm going to clothe myself with the natural world. 
and he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. When the Bible says he was made, it's referring to that moment when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to give birth. And what did Mary say? How shall this be? She didn't say can't be. She just said, okay, but tell me how. I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. Just tell me how. And Gabriel said, the power of the Almighty will overshadow you. And that thing that is formed in you, that holy thing shall be called the Son of God. And here, this is what Paul is referring to. When he writes, was made in the likeness of men, he's referring to that moment when Jesus was made in the womb of Mary with no involvement of another human being. He was made in her womb. Of course, this is medically impossible. But Mary found herself with child by the Holy Ghost. Jesus was made. He was fashioned inside her. Mm. And Philippians 2.8 goes on to say, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I told you that that word fashion is the Greek word schema. Maxime, can you tell me what it means? The word schema? Yes. Uh, it was used in the story of a king, right? That's of, right. Of that king who would look out through, through his window at his people and he was wishing that he could walk on the streets to be among his people. That, that's the word. But he could not because he, he was not. the he, king. He, he would have been mobbed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He could not. He could not. So the king one night made a decision to change his fashion. That's where this word fashion comes from. Isn't it powerful, Denise? And the king said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remove my splendor. I'm going to remove my royal clothes, remove my crown, and I'm going to dress like a commoner in my kingdom and I'm going to slip out onto the streets and nobody will know me and I'll be able to experience my people for the very first time. And history says that king did that very thing. He shed his outward attributes. He took on the form of a servant, just a commoner. And the king slipped out the door of his palace and suddenly found himself on the streets where he could interact with people in his kingdom. And that's the word that Paul uses in this verse. And Paul knew what that word meant. Here he's describing what Jesus did. God Almighty looked at us and longed to be with us, wanted to fellowship with us. But as God, with his glory and his power, it was too much for us. So he loved us so much he was willing to stoop to the lowest place. God said, you know what? I'll change my clothes. I'll take all this off. And I'll take upon myself the form of a servant. And God dressed himself in human flesh. That is just amazing to me. And in fact, when he came into the world, John 1, 11 says he came unto his own and his own didn't even know him because he had so totally clothed himself to look like a human being. But you know what, Denise? Creation knew him. When Jesus spoke to the sea, the sea knew his voice. When Jesus spoke to the wind, the wind knew his voice. 
when Jesus wanted to walk on water, the atoms in that water solidified under his feet because they knew the touch of the creator. Even when Jesus died, the Bible says that the old earth went into convulsions. There was great earthquakes when his blood hit the earth because the earth creation realized the blood of the creator had been spilled. Creation recognized him. Well, the devils recognized him. But people did not. He came unto his own, and they didn't even know who he was. That's how he had so totally changed his fashion. It's amazing. And you know, Rick, the people around him, when he started doing miracles and everything, they wanted him to be the deliverer. They wanted him to be a king. They wanted him to, like in their mind, deliver them from the Roman people. And that pressure that was on Jesus to try to be something that that um, other people wanted him to be. But, but Jesus kept holding on to that assignment that he was a servant and that he was going to lay down his life. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, you were telling us that this text from Philippians, second chapter, it used to be a song. It, this was a song. This is called hymnic they, literature. They were singing pretty serious songs, which makes most of the songs we sing today to be pretty empty. Yeah, this this really was serious, a song. Serious song. Very edifying. But hey, the verse goes on to say, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, Denise, sometimes people will say, I am not going to stoop that low. And people think they shouldn't do anything below themselves. But really, when you look at Philippians 2.5, this whole text begins by saying, Have the mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he was willing to lay it all aside. God did the unthinkable. He humbled himself. The word humbled literally means, listen to this, to be lowly or to be willing to stoop to any measure that is required, which means God was willing to stoop to the lowest point to reach us. He never said, I'm not stooping that low. He said, how low do I need to stoop? If I can reach somebody, just tell me how low I need to go. And the Bible says he became obedient. The word obedient, the Greek word hupokuo, compound. Hupo means to be under. The word akuo means to hear. It's where you get the word acoustics. You put it together, it's to be under and to listen. It's where you get the word obedient. It means Jesus hupo was under assignment. Jesus was under assignment from the Father akuo. He was listening and his one intention was to do what he was told to do. But for him to fulfill his destiny, he had to stay under authority. He had to stay under authority. And the Bible says he humbled himself even, even, to the death of the cross. And guess what? The word even in Greek is the word de, de. It's even hard to translate it. It means even, if you can imagine it. It is unthinkable. Exclamation. Even, even the death of the cross. The word cross is the Greek word staros. The death of a cross was considered to be the lowest most miserable form of human death. Seneca, who was Nero's teacher, wrote there was no death more miserable than crucifixion and that suicide was preferable to crucifixion because there was nothing worse than crucifixion. Nothing. It was simply hideous. And Jesus stooped. He humbled himself. 
And Paul uses the word that even, even, can you imagine it? Even to the death of a cross. And the RIV of Philippians 2.8 is this. Can you imagine it? Jesus humbled himself to such a lowly position and became so obedient that he even stooped low enough to die the miserable death of a cross. But hey guys, that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 9. Philippians 2.9 says, Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And when the Bible says God hath highly exalted him, the Greek word for highly exalted is only used here one time in the entire New Testament. It means to exalt to the highest place, to elevate exceedingly. This word isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament. And gave him a name that is above every other name. The word name, the Greek word onama, which can be translated name, fame, or reputation. Jesus ended up with a name and a reputation that was above Every other word above, the Greek word hooper, it means over, above, and beyond. It depicts something that is way beyond measure. It conveys the idea of superiority or something that is unsurpassed, unequaled, unrivaled, unparalleled. Jesus ended up with a name and a fame that was greater than every name. The word every, the Greek word pas, it is all encompassing, which means Jesus is exalted and his reputation is greater than every name, every person that has ever lived. The one who was willing to stoop to the lowest place ended up with the very highest place. And then Paul added in verse 10 and 11 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and things in heaven and things on earth, things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word every is used twice, every knee, every tongue. In both cases, the Greek word pan, it indicates every single knee, every single tongue, no one excluded. Everyone who has ever lived in human history, whether they be in heaven or whether they be in hell, it does not matter. Their knee is going to bow, their tongue is going to confess. The word bow means to bend the knee or bow the knee in honor and respect. And the word confess, the Greek word ex homologia, to declare, to say out loud, to explain, to loudly confess, to divulge, or even better, to blurt out, to blurt out. Mm. Which means a moment is coming in the future. According to this verse, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. That's every realm. Hmm. And every tongue will blurt out, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Denise, think how many people who say, I'm not going to give my life to God. I'm just not going to give my life to God. I'm not going to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. But yet from hell, from hell, they will nonetheless say Jesus is Lord. People are going to say it. Now or later, they're going to say it. But according to Romans chapter 10, if you say Jesus is Lord now, you'll never go to hell. You will avoid hell completely. You'll just go to heaven. But everyone that's ever lived, Nero, Stalin, 
Caesar Augustus, Mao, everybody you know, every evil person you've ever known, they will all bow their knee and blurt out in universal unison, Jesus is Lord. That's part of the Christmas story. God shed his clothes, took on a new form, not just to be a baby. It's not about being a baby. He came for this purpose, to die on that cross, to be exalted to the highest place. And today he offers all of us the free gift of salvation. Amen. Amen. And you know what, guys? I'm thinking about our home group. This week they're going to be with their family and friends that are not saved. We pray for you to have an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus to them and remind them what this holiday is really about. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit that you can lead somebody to Jesus this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, we're going to come back tomorrow night. But remember, if you need prayer, write to us, prayer at renner.org, or call us 1-800-742-5593. We'll be back tomorrow night, but sleep well. Bye-bye. Hey, friends, this is Rick Renner, and I have a big announcement, so pay attention. Starting in January, Home Group will only be Saturday nights. We've decided to really focus on Saturday nights. We want to bring you the very best. We want you to join us. Every other night of the week, we're going to replay our regular daily TV program, except Sunday night. And Sunday night, we're going to have what's called Teaching of the Month. It's going to really be good. But Home Group will be Saturday night. So please write that down. And don't forget, Home Group is moving to once a week on Saturday nights. And we'll be waiting for you right here. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.